Daniel chapter 6. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them, so that the king might not suffer loss. Now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, We will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So the administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisers and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next thirty days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty... Issue the decree and put it in writing, so that it cannot be altered, in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now when Daniel learnt that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room, where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asked God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next thirty days anyone who prays to any god or human being except to you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said to him, Remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring, and with the the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him, and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight. 
nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions had overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. As we uh, come to this passage uh, this morning, let's pray. Heavenly Father, please would you be with us now. And by your spirit, would you open our hearts to hear your word, that we might come to know you more. Amen. I want you to imagine with me for a second that you've been working in a good job for some years. Right from the start, you've been known for your wisdom, your abilities and your faithfulness to the workplace. You have a great work ethic and your seemingly natural abilities quickly separate you from the rest of your peers. Sure, you are known as that church guy who doesn't go to sleep on Sunday because you're at church and for some reason you're always saying nice things to people about love, but you are known as being dependable and honest. If there is a sneaky way to gain a few dollars, you are not the person who's going to do it. You won't capitalise on someone's misfortune through corruption. But then, out of the blue, your workplace creates a new policy and it says, because times are tough, we need all of our workers to work seven days a week. And this is non-negotiable. Failure to obey this will result in certain termination. What do you do? You're known as the office Christian. All eyes are on you at this point. Do you put your faith in the workplace and your financial security? Or do you turn to God and choose to serve Him wholeheartedly instead? How about the local Christian pastor who lives overseas? Sure, he's a well-liked and respected person, in the community. He's always at the fundraising events and has a pretty good reputation. But all of a sudden he's told that worshipping and serving his God isn't allowed anymore. Because, to be honest, these Christians are starting to outnumber the secular folk and this is making the high-ranking government officials just a little bit uneasy. Therefore, he's told in no uncertain terms that he's even found in possession of a Bible the penalty will be 15 years of jail time for him and his family. Which king will he serve? Friends, today we actually get to explore this very question and we get to do this by looking at Daniel 6. We get to see how Daniel models for us what living for Jesus looks like, even when the kingdoms clash, even under the threat of death and how this faithfulness of Daniel, living as an exile in Babylon, points us to the great and secure hope and confidence that we can have today in Jesus and his eternal kingdom. Uh, Daniel 6, it begins by telling us some of the more intricate structures of uh, King Darius's government structure throughout his kingdom. 
Uh, if you think back to last week, you might remember that Darius is the king who succeeds Belshazzar. Uh, Belshazzar is the king who would not humble himself before God, and consequently, he is slain. And again, as we have seen in previous chapters, Daniel is appointed to a place of influence. He is placed above the satraps, and these are basically governors of the provinces, and Daniel's role within Darius's kingdom at this point is to be one of the three administrators who are in charge of managing these satraps. Now, make no mistake, this is an important role, and in verse 2, we're told of this. Um, ultimately, his satraps are accountable to Daniel and to the other two administrators, so that King Darius will suffer no loss. To be certain, this is a position of some trust and a position of responsibility. Again, we are also told of Daniel's exceptional qualities in verse 3, and such is Daniel's pedigree and ability that Darius plans to set Daniel over the entire kingdom. Above the other administrators and the provincial governors. And yet, I don't think we should be surprised by this, because if we think back even to the very first chapter of Daniel, we are clearly told that it is Daniel, uh, that it is God, sorry, who gives Daniel his wisdom and his understanding, which we have seen Daniel use time and time again. It's at this point in the chapter that we see the first major conflict developing, and to put it simply, it is a political power play at hand. The other administrators and governors are jealous of Daniel, and this kingdom, with Darius as the newly appointed ruler, they are the ones who want to be promoted to the places of importance. But there is obviously a clear obstacle in place, and this is Daniel. You see, because of Daniel's ability and because of Daniel's character, Darius wants to promote him to be above all the others. And so out of jealousy and spite, the others find a way to have Daniel removed. And yet, when they look at Daniel's conduct as an administrator, they find no corruption and they find no negligibility. There's no earthly reason here to have Daniel removed. Daniel is both a faithful and a competent servant who serves King Darius to the best of his ability. However, the administrators and governors also know that Daniel is a godly man and that their best chance of success is to make Daniel make a choice. Which king will Daniel truly serve? Darius or God? And this sets the scene for the uh, administrators to approach the king with a decree and to put it into writing. And as we heard, this decree is actually quite simple. And you can see it in verses 6 to 8. No one can pray to any god or human for the next 30 days, except King Darius. And if they do, the punishment shall be death by being thrown into the lion's den. And it is here all of a sudden that the clash of these two kingdoms is very real for Daniel. Under the threat of death, Daniel is asked the very question of which king will he serve? King Darius or God? I think in verse 10, we're then given a really wonderful insight into Daniel's godly character. Do you notice that after Daniel learns of the decree not to pray, he returns to his room, gets on his knees and prays to God just as he had before? You see, Daniel here is not overcome by a sense of insolence. He doesn't decide to make an overt religious point in a desperate desire to martyr himself. It's not even a prayer which is made loudly in a public place, in a final last stand as a final act of defiance. No, he brings himself before his heavenly father 
and he asks humbly on his knees for help, which is exactly how the group of administrators and rulers find him. I wonder, friends, if prayer plays a similar role in your life. In times of trouble and stress, is your first response to ask God for guidance and help? For patience and uh, perseverance? Or is it to seek solitude elsewhere? Perhaps it's by firstly asking a good friend or family member for advice before turning to God in prayer. I think actually that Daniel models for us the very importance prayer should play in our lives. We should bring before our Heavenly Father all of our cares, all of our concerns and all of our worries. As it says in 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. And I think this is really modelled clearly for us here by Daniel. The narrative continues and we see the plan of the conspiring administrators play it in full. Uh, you'll see in verse 12 that they go to King Darius and I ask him the question, King Darius, didn't you not publish a decree that said that anyone who prays to any God except you in the next 30 days will be thrown into the lion's den? And the king answers, well, yeah, of course I did. <laughs> the decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians. It can't be repealed. And at this point, they know that trap has worked. And so they tell King Darius, well, Daniel's gone and done this. He's directly disobeyed your edict. You have no choice. You must throw him into the lion's den. However, what is interesting here is that far from being pleased, Darius, the very king who issued the decree, does his absolute best to save Daniel from the fate of death which awaits him. Yet, I think we see here for Darius and his insecure earthly kingdom, he sees no potential way to save Daniel and to save face. At the insistence of the administrators, he has Daniel thrown into the lion's den. And yet, I think what's interesting here in this clash of kingdoms is that Darius could have saved Daniel. After all, he's the king of Babylon. Yet, what we see here, I think, is the insecurity that Darius feels as a relatively new king. He wants to be seen as the ruler who's above all other rulers. Even if we think back a few chapters to King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 3, it's Nebuchadnezzar who actually summons the officials and the rulers to him when he tells them that he's made an idol which must be worshipped. And yet here in Daniel 6, we have the satraps and the administrators coming to Darius with the suggestion of a decree. The ruling structures here are totally inverted they had the wrong way around. Ultimately, although Darius's earthly kingdom attempts to rescue Daniel, it is, his, it is his words as Daniel is sealed in the lion's den, which are perhaps the most telling. He says to Daniel in verse 16, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. What a remarkable statement here from Darius, because... He acknowledges right here that he and his kingdom cannot rescue Daniel. Only God can do that now. The next day, after a restless night, Darius heads back to the lion's den. And you can only imagine at this point what he's feeling. Uh, in fact, in verse 20, we read out that he calls it an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually being able to rescue you from the lions. 
And as we read before, Daniel responds that yes, he has been delivered by his God because he had trusted in his God. Here, Daniel models his strong faith in God and those who have stood accused um, and those who have stood and accused Daniel now find themselves receiving the very penalty of death for their scheming and plotting against him. Then as we get to the end of this chapter, we see this remarkable decree of Darius. And you see it in verses 26 and 27. He says this, I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. There really is such a remarkable proclamation here by King Darius. You see, right throughout this chapter, to this point, we have had Daniel modelling for us what faithful service looks like as an exile, awaiting deliverance. And yet, through Daniel's actions and through Daniel's faith, he points Darius to God, who is the true and eternal king. And if we jump forward again to uh, 1 Peter 2.12, it says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And this is exactly the example that we have modelled for us here with Daniel. You know, that is by his actions and his faithfulness, he points Darius to God, the true king. I think one of the significant things that we've seen unfold within this passage is the conflict and the turmoil that Darius experiences as he tries to rule over his kingdom and how this is totally contrasted against Daniel who is clearly secure in God when trouble strikes for him. You see, Daniel's overlapping narrative in this chapter is actually instrumental in showing us today that it's the living God whose kingdom endures forever, that can save us. When Daniel needed saving from the lion's den and certain death, it wasn't Darius who could save him, it was God. If we look forward to uh, Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14, I'm not sure if we have that on the screen. Brilliant. It says this, For he has rescued us, from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins friends today if you are here and it is truly wonderful that you are and you haven't placed your trust in jesus as your saving king you are in this dominion of darkness that colossians 1 talks about but the great and true news is that in Jesus you don't have to stay in that kingdom. But instead, through Jesus' death and resurrection, you can have the sure hope of redemption and the forgiveness of your sins that is freely offered by Jesus' grace to you. This is an offer for you to place your trust in Jesus as your King. This is a free offer for you to come into His kingdom, the only true 
and eternal kingdom. And this is the good news and the sure hope that is available for you today if you choose. Can I encourage you that if this is you and this is your circumstance or you want to think more about who Jesus is, please come and talk to Mike, who's our senior pastor, or Peter, or Luke, or myself, or the person who brought you along today. But don't leave today if you have questions about Jesus, because we would love to help you work through those. And for those of you who are here this morning who have placed their trust in Jesus, I think it's really necessary for us to spend some time thinking about which kingdom we place our trust in daily. And this might not necessarily be a political kingdom or a political party as such, because actually, by and large, we live in a pretty lucky country and we enjoy some pretty good freedoms. But I wonder instead if maybe we're guilty of falling into the trap of looking to our financial kingdoms to save us when trouble strikes. Or maybe we look to the next promotion at work as the kingdom we want to serve. Or do we look at our success at university or at school, if that's your context at the minute? Or is it even our social status with our friends and our various friendship groups? Do we find comfort and confidence in our daily prayer lives as Daniel did? Or do we attempt to take the reins and rule over our own finite kingdoms, trusting our own abilities more than the sure security and hope that we have in Jesus today? Or do we even find ourselves guilty of serving a plurality of kingdoms, allowing our daily walk with Jesus to be muddled amongst our other kingdoms? Can I encourage you this morning to place Jesus and his kingdom first in your life? To earnestly seek and continue to trust in him, even when the kingdoms do clash and the earthly kingdoms do seem insurmountable? Because we know that we have a sure hope in Jesus. He is the true king who has rescued us. He is the true king who has saved us into his kingdom. And this is a kingdom which will endure forever and will never be destroyed. Please would you pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the book of Daniel and for Daniel chapter 6. Please would you help us to place our trust in you even when the earthly kingdoms do seem insurmountable. Please would you help us to know by your spirit that you are the true king who has saved us through Jesus' death and resurrection. And may this truth continue to spur spur us onwards as we live for your eternal kingdom. Amen.